You know, the desire to be loved is one of the most basic fundamental desires that all people have. I'm, and I'm really not telling you anything you don't know. Everybody knows this, that people want to be loved. This is one of the great motivating factors in the world, if not the greatest motivating factor, the desire to be loved. You know, we have a lot of sayings about love. Sayings say that love is a many splendid thing. Another saying says that love makes the world go round. But yet it seems, doesn't it, that love gets blamed a lot of times for things that aren't really love's fault, right? That aren't, you know, it kind of seems that love gets blamed for a lot of things that aren't very splendid. Like love may be a very uh, many splendid thing, but, but sometimes people do things under the banner or auspice of love which aren't really splendid at all. And that's because they aren't actually love, right? So love gets blamed for a lot of things which aren't really its fault. We live in a culture where the definition of what love is is pretty blurry because the word love gets applied to so many things which, which are not very splendid. And I think if we would really think about it, uh, maybe it isn't actually love that makes the world go round. Maybe it's other things that we have mistaken for love which are actually something else. But you know what? It's not just our culture that is confused about what love is. This morning we're going to be looking at a text which is 3,000 years old roughly. 3,000 years old really. And what we see is that people back then were just as confused about what love is as people are today. So let's uh, check this out. The title of today's message is Twisted Love. Twisted Love. And in this section we're going to see three forms of twisted love, each of which are just as common in our day as they were in that day 3,000 years ago because it's part of our human nature and, and it's just stuff that people are confused about. So first, of, first off, we're going to see twisted love in the area of romance. Second, we're going to see twisted love in the area of parenting. And thirdly, we're going to see twisted love in the area of loyalty. Okay, so romance, parenting, and loyalty. First off, we're going to see twisted love in the area of romance. And this is going to be, the main character of this section is a guy named Amnon. Let's go ahead and meet him in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Samuel 13. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. You, here we meet uh, three of David's children, Absalom, Amnon, and Tamar. Okay, so you might remember that David had seven wives at this point. Now that was something which was not good. It wasn't good that he had seven wives. In fact, it was forbidden by the law of Moses for David to do this, but he ignored the word of God and he just did it anyway. Which is never a good thing to do, by the way. Like, we do not recommend that here at Whitefields. Like, if God's word says something... You should really do it. You should really listen to what he says. But David didn't, and we're going to see that that's going to cause a lot of problems in his life. Absalom and Tamar, they were both from David's wife, Makah, right? So that means that they are full siblings. Uh, Amnon, on the other hand, was a half-sibling to them. He was the daughter of David's wife, Ahinoam. That was David's second wife. You remember David's first wife was barren. 
Okay, so David's wife, Ahinoam, gave birth to this son named Amnon, and that means that Amnon was David's firstborn son. Now that's significant in this society and in this situation because David was the king of Israel. And so David's firstborn son becomes then the crown prince of Israel. So as we're looking at Amnon here, this is important to keep in mind, he is the crown prince of Israel. He's the heir to the throne. So our story begins here in, in kind of a weird way. If you notice that that was weird, it's because it is. Amnon has the hots for his sister. And that's not good, right? You should not do that. Um, Amnon has a major crush on his half-sister. She's very beautiful, and he's got the hots for her. And, well, there's one problem with that, and that's that she's his sister. I mean, come on. It's his sister. It's not only weird and messed up. It's also strictly forbidden by the law of Moses, right? Half-brothers and half-sisters were not only not allowed to marry, they were not allowed to have any kind of intimate contact or any romantic relationship because it's just sick and wrong and everybody knows that. And, but Amnon, he, he even knew that. We see that he knew it was forbidden. It seemed impossible to him that this would work out. It was forbidden. He knew it was messed up. But rather than just accept that fact that, hey, you can't do this, it's just wrong, uh, Amnon chose instead to feel sorry for himself. And he kind of went around moping about, right, feeling sorry for himself, and he became what we might call lovesick, right? Like he became physically ill because he got himself so worked up about his sister, Tamar, who he had a crush on. Okay, goes on. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. This guy Jonadab is his cousin because he's David's son's brother. That's his nephew, David's nephew, so that means he's uh, Amnon's cousin. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in a family with a lot of cousins, and I think I know this guy. In fact, I think I have multiple cousins who are like this guy, very, very uh, crafty, and not in the sense of that they like to go to Hobby Lobby and bedazzle everything, and they don't like to make, you know, uh, cards for their friends and hand crafts and stuff no he's a crafty guy meaning that he's that guy who's always there to give you bad advice when you don't need it right like he's there and uh, you know he's the opposite of an accountability partner accountability partner says hey that's sin we should not do that uh, the opposite of accountability partner is the guy who says hey that's sin we should do it twice right this is who Jonadab is now verse 4 Jonadab said to him oh son of the king why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. I love her. Now keep that in mind. He goes on and on about how much he loves her. We're going to be talking about that as we go on. Notice, uh, though, that he refers to as Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, can we just have a, a reality check here for a second? Okay, like, uh, if it's your brother's sister... And guess what that makes, him to, makes her to you? That means she's your sister too. But of course, you know, he doesn't want to say that she's his sister because, you know, that just kind of feels weird. That's because it is weird, by the way. But he doesn't want to say it because that would activate his conscience. And sometimes we do that, right? We kind of try to, you know, we change things, the way we word things, the way we approach things in order not to activate our consciences. And we kind of deceive ourselves in that way. Amnon knows this is wrong, uh, so he changes the language a little bit to make himself not feel so bad about what he's doing, which, which is actually very bad. So in verse 5, Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed, 
and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Okay, so Jonadab, right? Amnon says, so I've got a crush on my sister. I want to sleep with my sister. And Jonadab should have said, right, the right thing to say if someone ever says that to you, just for future reference is, dude, you have uh, the hots for your sister? Ew, right? That's wrong. That's messed up. And you need to repent. And you need to start being a man, man up, and quit moping around and feeling sorry for yourself. Amnon knows that what, the, what he's doing here is wrong. That's why he hasn't done anything about it, right? He's just kind of moping around. And here comes this guy, and this guy, rather than correcting him and rebuking him, actually empowers him to do what is wrong, right? He needs someone to lovingly rebuke him. And might I say, I think we all need that sometimes. Sometimes we all need someone who loves us, who will just tell us the truth, in love, right? Tell us even maybe what we don't want to hear in love because we need to hear it. Someone who will tell us to cut it out and knock it off when we're off track or hung up on something that we have no business being involved in. We all need that sometimes. That's what a true friend does. And that is part of the role of Christian community, by the way. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to the Christian life. But, but Jonadab, instead of doing that, he says, Oh, oh, you want to sleep with your sister? Well, let me help you find a way to do that, right? Not, not a friend to him right now. So verse 6, so Amnon followed his instructions. Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Creepy, right? Then David said, uh, sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Okay, so here we start to get this picture of David, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in the next section when we talk about parenting. We see this uh, picture of David as an indulgent father. He is a very indulgent father, uh, meaning this, that uh, Amnon is acting like a baby, right? He's just acting like a big baby. He's being childish and, and but as we see, nobody is willing to tell him to just knock it off and cut it out. Nobody's willing to say no to this guy. He says, oh, you know, I'm only going to eat if, I, if my sister, who I have the hots for, will come and make me some food in my presence so I can watch her. Creepy. And, and then she'll hand feed it to me. Mega creepy, right? This guy is acting childish. He's being a creep. He's being a weirdo. And nobody's willing to confront him about it. Everybody's just indulging him. Verse 8. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. Now, Try to put yourself in Tamar's shoes here for a second. Tamar surely knows that her brother is a creep. And we get the impression that she avoids him. Like she does not want to be around him. She's probably noticed him peering at her and staring at her and, you know, with oogly eyes or whatever. And, and he's probably said inappropriate things to her. And we get the impression that Tamar just does not want to be around Amnon. But now Amnon got their dad the king to command her to go to his house and do this thing for him. So she kind of has to go. This is not good. Verse 9. And she, that's Tamar, took the pan and emptied it out before him. 
but he refused to eat. Now, if you remember, Amnon's request was that his sister Tamar would hand feed him the food. But Tamar obviously does not want to do that because it's weird. And uh, she says no. So she just dumps out this pan and says, here you go. Here's your stupid food, right? So verse 9. And Amnon said, send everyone out from me. So everyone went out from him. This isn't, this isn't good. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber, that's his bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she, when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel, nor uh, do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, speak, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. You know, you can kind of sense Tamar's desperation in these words. I mean, she's trying to do everything and anything she can to stop this from happening, to buy herself some time. You know, she, she tries to appeal to him and says, you know, think about the consequences. Just think through what's going to happen if you carry this out, you know. If you really, truly love me, don't do this to me. You'll bring shame upon me. You'll ruin my life. She says, well, think about yourself. What is this going to do to you? People will hate your guts. You'll be a pariah. You'll be a rapist. Everyone, you'll be an outcast in our society. And then finally, in her last-ditch effort, she says, hey, you know what? Let's talk to Dad. I mean, he never withholds anything from you, right? He's completely indulgent. He spoils you. He'll probably make an exception. He'll probably let us get married, even though it's, you know, against our custom. Now, again, the law strictly forbid the marriage of, of half-siblings, but she's desperate at this point. She's just trying to buy herself some time and get this guy to stop what he's doing. Verse 14, but he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. How incredibly sad this is. Encouraged by his cousin, Jonadab, Amnon forces himself on Tamar. Right? He just had to be with her. Why? Because he loved her so much, right? He just loved her so much that he had to be with her. Well, check out what happens next in verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. What? Wait a second, right? Wasn't he just so in love with her that he was making himself sick? Didn't, didn't he love her? Didn't he tell everybody how much he was in love with her and just had to be with her because he loved her so much? But here we see that Amnon's love is revealed for what it, what it really was in actuality, it was nothing more than just simple lust. It was nothing more. He, he had no love for her whatsoever. Uh, his desire for her was completely selfish. And once he got what he wanted from her, he had no more use for her and he just discarded her. This is terribly sad. But the same story has been repeated over and over in so many people's lives. It's repeated every day. This is twisted love, don't you see? He says, I love her, I love her, but this isn't love. This is twisted. This so-called love that Amnon had for Tamar was not actually love. It was lust masquerading itself as love, calling itself love. But there's no love involved in this at all. I'd like to read to you uh, an excerpt from Chuck Smith on this topic um, 
you know, Chuck was an older man and, and he speaks as a, in a fatherly way that I clearly cannot, but I, that's why I want to read uh, what he said on this topic. So Chuck Smith said this, let me give a friendly fatherly tip to all of you young ladies out there who may be in the position of Tamar in that you have some fellow who is really pressing hard to be intimate with you. He is the soul of kindness. He is very attentive. He calls all the time. He opens the door for you. He brings you flowers, but he's pushing hard for a sexual relationship. Don't give in. If you really love him, make him wait until you're married. And if he really loves you, he will. Over and over, time and again, the fellow will press and press until he has taken you to bed. And then you're no longer a challenge. He's conquered and he's off to new conquests. If you really love him, make him wait. If you really love God, love yourself and make him wait. I think that's a good word for, for all the young ladies in here. Verse 15, we read this. Amnon said to her, get up and go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for, for the wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So, her, so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. You know, think about the terrible irony here. Here's Tamar, and she is dressed like a princess, right? She's wearing this long robe with these long sleeves. And what those sleeves refer to, I mean, that wasn't the kind of clothes that you do work in, right? This was flamboyant dress that princesses wore. So Tamar here is dressed like a princess, but she's not treated like a princess, is she? By this man who claims that he loves her. But that wasn't love at all. I think that's very clear. He just used her and he sent her away. And now she's outside all alone. And just imagine the sound, that heart-crushing sound of that door being bolted right in your face. This isn't love at all. There's no love in this. But so often in our culture, we use the word love to describe what is actually nothing more than lust. We're confused about it, about what love is. It's, it's twisted. Lust is not love, right? Love gives, lust takes. Love is selfless, lust is completely selfish. You know, when you look around, though, you cannot help but notice that people use the word love all the time to describe things which aren't actually love. In this case, uh, to you, it's used to describe something which is actually lust, right? Amnon was not in love with her. He said that he felt love, but that was a twisted form of love. It was really nothing more than lust. You know, Dallas Willard gave a definition of love which I found very helpful. Here's what Dallas Willard said about what love is. He said this, love is not desire. Love is not desire. That's actually profound in itself. Love is not desire. Love is to will the good of others. For example, we say, I love chocolate cake, but we really want to eat it, right? We want to devour it. That's not truly love. We love something or someone when we promote its good for its own sake. I think that statement is so profound, right? Like, love is not desire. It's not just a feeling. It is rather an action of the will. It is to will the good for other people. So, so often, you know, you hear people say things about love. like Things like, oh, you know, I, I'm so in love with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, right? Or, or 
you know, you hear uh, people who've been married for a while, they'll say, well, you know, I used to be in love with him, but I'm just not anymore. I'm just not, I just don't love my husband anymore. I just don't love my wife anymore. I don't know if I ever loved them. Now, what they're talking about is a, is a sentimental fondness or infatuation, a feeling that is nice to have if it's there. But let me tell you, that itself is not love. But so often people confuse those sentimental feelings or desires with love. But here's something interesting to think about. In the Bible, we are actually commanded to love. And maybe some people would say, what? You can't just like turn that on and off like a light switch, right? You can't just make yourself love somebody. Well, well, maybe you can, right? Okay, now think about this. We are commanded to love. We're commanded to love other people. We're commanded to love God. We're commanded, husbands are commanded to love their wives. Now again, some people would say, you can't just turn love on and off like a light switch whenever you want. I would say, well, maybe you can, right? Because if love is not just a sentimental feeling or desire that you have no control over, right? But instead, it's actually an act of the will, willing the good of the other. Well, then it makes sense that the Bible would command us to do it, right? So sure, yeah, you cannot, I agree, you cannot just turn on and off your feelings or your desires whenever you feel like it. But the fact that we are commanded to love tells us that love is not just a feeling or a desire, it's an act of the will. It's something you do. It's something you can choose to do. And I'll tell you what, when you understand that uh, understanding of love, let me tell you what, it gives you so much hope and it gives you so much direction. It gives you so much hope because what it means is that what Amnon felt towards Tamar, it was real. It was a valid feeling, it was a valid desire, but it wasn't love. Maybe some of you here today, you are struggling like Amnon was with feelings for someone or something which you know are off limits. Just don't call it love, okay? Call it what it is. Call a spade a spade. Call it infatuation. Maybe even call it lust. Call it desire. But don't call it love because that's, you know, validating it in a way it doesn't deserve to be validated. Also, this understanding of love as, as an act of the will, it, it gives a tremendous amount of hope because what it means is that it is possible to love your neighbor even if you don't feel like it. It means that it's possible to love God even when you don't have a surge of emotion within you towards God. It means that it is possible, uh, husbands and wives, to love your spouse or to love your family members even if you don't feel anything warm or sentimental towards them at all. You know, one writer I used to read a lot, he always said this, you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. You can't change how you feel, but you can change the way that you think and the way that you act. And if you change the way that you think and act, if you change your mind, then the way you feel will inevitably follow. Love isn't desire, right? The, the, that twisted form of love that Amnon had for Tamar, even though he called it love, it wasn't actually love. It was definitely twisted, though. The next area, though, where we see a form of twisted love is in the area of parenting. And this is in the person of David. Let's read what happens uh, from verse 19. Tamar laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? You see, he knew 
what, what Amnon was like. He had seen it. He had been there the whole time. He saw the guy creeping around and being weird. And as soon as he saw his sister disheveled like this, he said, oh no, I know exactly what happened. Has Amnon been with you? He says, now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. What a sad story. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. Well, I would hope so, you know. He should be angry. Uh, and check out what David did about this situation. Do you see it? Neither do I, because it's not there. You'll notice. Go ahead and read the whole chapter. It's not there. He didn't do anything. That's, that's uh, what makes this story even sadder. David was angry. He was incensed. But he didn't do anything. He, the one man, the king, the one man who has the power and the ability to do something about this, did nothing. Nothing to defend his daughter. Nothing to discipline his son. Nothing to even correct his son. He did nothing. You know, there were several areas of David's life in which he was extraordinary. In which we look at him and we say, if only I could be like that, I would be doing it right, right? right? He was a man who was passionate in the ways that he worshipped God, in the ways that he pursued living for God. He was a man of faith. He believed that God could do great things even through a simple person like him. And he was willing to take steps of faith and trust in the promises of God. But if there was one area of David's life where he was the weakest, it was in his home life. It was with his family. It was as a husband uh, and, and a father. You know, he was a success in so many areas. He was a success as a poet and a musician, as a warrior and a leader. Vocationally, he was wildly successful. But as a husband and a father, he was a failure. And that is definitely something that we all need to consider because we live in a culture now where it is very common for people to be like David, to be hugely successful at work, to be popular at work, but to be a failure at home. You know, the title of this series is A Heart for God. And one area of what it means to have a heart for God is that God is a father and God calls himself a true husband. So to have a heart for God means to love your spouse like God has loved you. It means to raise your children in the ways that God has treated you as his child. You know, we, we've already read about David's failings as a husband, but now we see that as a father, David was very indulgent. And another thing, he did not like to discipline his children. There are several occasions, this being one of them, where David did not correct or rebuke his children, where he did not discipline them, where he did not make them face the consequences for their actions. And the results of this in his kids are, are terrible. I mean, look at Amnon. You have this grown man who acts like a child. He thinks that he should be able to have whatever he wants. He's spoiled, and he, if he wants something, he's going to take it, even if he shouldn't have it. And rather than correcting or rebuking, David just continually indulges him. And, and you know, now that Amnon has done something terrible and wrong, David just does nothing. At the very least, David should have gone to his house and given him the tongue lashing of his life. Or, or at least he could have made Amnon make some sort of reparation to Tamar. 
The right thing to do, however, would have been for David to say, look, I don't care if you're my son. It doesn't matter. You did a wicked thing. You broke the law. You violated somebody. So now you have to face the legal repercussions of the law that you broke. And by the way, according to the law of Moses, rape deserved capital punishment. I got an email the other day from somebody here in the church, and this person had been talking to someone and this this other person had told this person that the old testament condones rape you know like it's totally cool with it if people rape <laughs> rape each other right and so she emailed me to ask you know is that really true and the answer to that question is absolutely not absolutely not in fact as i said rape was considered so heinous that it deserved the most uh you know severe punishment possible which was capital punishment and so amnon according to their law should have been put to death but david did nothing now many people speculate that the reason David did nothing, the reason David didn't rebuke Amnon or hand him over to the authorities to, or throw the book at him, you know, is because David felt that the things that he had done, having an affair with Bathsheba, committing murder uh, with Uriah, that he did not have the moral high ground to be able to uh, confront anybody, let alone his son who was doing something somewhat similar to what he had done. You know, parents try to put yourself in David's shoes. He loves his son. This is his firstborn son. Some of you have sons. You know what I'm talking about. He knows that what his son did was wrong and he doesn't want to see his son put to death. And there is this sense in which David knows that he has not been a good father, right? Maybe he even blames himself for this situation. Maybe he even feels guilty. After all, I mean, it was him who sent Tamar into Amnon's house anyway. And, and, and who is he to say anything, right? I mean, he committed adultery. He committed murder. According to the law, he should have been put to death for those things, but he wasn't, probably because he was king. So we have David, and he's probably thinking, you know, well, hey, I got away with this stuff that I shouldn't have. How can I enforce the law on my son? Wouldn't it be kind of hypocritical of me? I've talked to a lot of parents who feel the same way about certain areas of their lives, things that they've done, and now how can I even talk to my kids about this? I, I, I'd be a hypocrite. But David does nothing. He does nothing. After all, he loves his son, right? He loves him too much to do something about this. Certainly, he doesn't want to strain the relationship. He wants to keep open the lines of communication between them. And, you know, rebuking his son or correcting him or, or disciplining him, that might just cause his son to, to shut him off or cut him off. And David loves his son too much to do anything or say anything. At least that's what David would say. But again, that's a twisted form of love, isn't it? That is twisted love. Shielding your children from the consequences of their own actions, not correcting them, not disciplining them because you love them? That's twisted. Hebrews 12, interestingly, tells us that it is because God loves us that he disciplines us. And I've always thought about that. What does that mean that God disciplines us? Does that mean he sends like bad stuff to happen to us or causes us to like, break a leg or something you know to teach us a lesson I don't think so you know what I, what I think this means when it says that God disciplines us I think that there are there are times when God could spare us he theoretically could couldn't he he could spare us from the consequences of our actions 
But many times he doesn't spare us from those consequences. He lets us suffer the consequences of what we've done as a form of loving discipline. Because although God loves you just as you are this morning, he loves you too much to just leave you as you are. That's how much he loves you, just like how we love our kids. Proverbs 13 says that whoever does not discipline his son hates him. But whoever loves his son is diligent to correct him. I found this quote from a well-known author, which I thought was, was very astute. Let me share this with you. He said this, Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, that you must fear them or hate them. The second is that, if, that to love someone means to agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. I think that's very astute. The idea that to love someone means only to affirm them, never to confront them. That's really a twisted idea of what love is. But that's very prominent in our society today, wouldn't you say? You know, we see here that same attitude here in David's actions towards Amnon. And I'll finish with this third form of twisted love that we see. uh, And we see that in the area of Absalom's reaction to the situation. From verse 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. You know, Absalom, right, this is Tamar's full, full brother. He watched this whole thing go down. He knew that Amnon had the hots for Tamar. And he, he was there when, when Tamar got raped and she was mourning. And he was there when he realized, when Tamar realized that their dad is not going to do anything about this, even though he could. Right? And any respect that Absalom might have had for his father is completely gone at this point. Absalom takes Tamar in to live with him, partly to protect her from their creepy brother. Uh, But also, you know, it's because he realizes that David is not going to do anything to take care of Tamar. He's not going to do anything to to discipline Amnon. And so Absalom comes up with a plan. If David's not going to do something, then he'll do something. At sheep shearing time, which, you know, sheep shearing time for shepherds, that's like Super Bowl Sunday, right? That's like Mardi Gras. That's when you pull out all the stops and uh, you have a huge party. So Absalom organizes this mega party and he invites David, the king, to come to this party. And David says, oh no, you know, uh, I don't want to 
be a bother. He says, oh, come on, Dad, you got to be there. And it's, oh, no, you know. And you know how adult parents are to their adult children. They don't want to be a burden. And, and Absalom knew exactly that that's what David was going to say. Oh, no, you know, I don't want to be a burden. So he says, hey, well, you know, if the king can't be there, well, then you got to at least send us the crown prince, right? you got to make sure Amnon's there. This is going to be the party to end all parties. you got to make sure that somebody's there to represent, uh, represent you know, the leadership of Israel. And David says, you want Amnon to be there? I mean, I, I thought you hated his guts, you know? Like, remember what happened, you know, a couple of years ago with the, your sister and everything? He says, oh, Dad, that's just water under the bridge, you know? Bygones be bygones. Let's have Amnon just come out to the party. It'll be a good time. But, of course, we know it's a trap. And, and there at the party, they murder Amnon. And then they, it says that they get on their donkeys and ride away, which is uh, quite the interesting picture if you think about it. But uh, anyway, this third form of loyalty is in the area of, or third form of twisted love is in the area of loyalty, right? Absalom loved his sister and wanted to express his love and loyalty to his sister. And the way that he expressed that was by getting revenge. In other words, he did something wrong to the person who did something wrong to her, and he said, that's my expression of love to you. That's a twisted form of love, isn't it? Right? Like, I'm going to hurt the person who hurt you as an act of love to you. That's not love. Now, it's, it might bring a sense of gratification, but there's no love involved in that. But you do see this thing happen all the time, right? This idea of loyalty means you hurt my friend, therefore I'm going to hurt you. you. My friend hates you, therefore I'm going to hate you. I'm going to do something wrong to you because you did something wrong to somebody that I care about. Now, God's word tells us that that's not love. Because what love does is love doesn't repay evil for evil. Love overcomes evil with good. True love forgives. True love redeems. There's nothing good about what Absalom does here to Amnon. It's not going to take away Tamar's pain. This isn't justice that he's carrying out. This is just more sin, more problems, and we're going to see that continued in the next chapter next week. But here in this story, we see three forms of twisted love. I'll just wrap this up for you. Three things that people, even in our day, commonly mistake for love. First, we see that love is not just a desire. Love is not just a desire. Love is an act of the will. It is to love someone is to will the good of the, the other. And love is, secondly, not just affirming everything that everybody does and never confronting them. No, true love cares enough to bring in truth and correction and discipline in the kindest and gentlest ways. Because love doesn't want to see people perpetuate behaviors and attitudes which hurt themselves and other people. And thirdly, love is not repaying evil for evil. True love overcomes evil with good. It forgives, it restores, it builds up, and it redeems. And of course, if you want to know what true love really looks like, you need to look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. You need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. He was the love of God personified. He lived out what it means to truly love God and love others. And you know, Jesus didn't just talk about love as this abstract feeling. He lived out love in action. He came and he affirmed what was good and right and true and he rebuked and corrected what was false and wrong and untrue. And he didn't repay evil for evil. Truly, he overcame, he conquered evil with good. And on the cross, Jesus taught us that true love gives. 
He taught us that true love sacrifices. He taught us that true love redeems and heals and makes right. And true love truly wills the good of the other. And my prayer for us here as Whitefields is that we may be people who truly understand and know the love of God. May we know it so well that it just fills our hearts and permeates our lives so, that it, so much so that it would even overflow out from us and touch the people around us. And may it draw them to the source of that love, the one who is love personified, Jesus. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for your love made manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that he taught us what love really is. He taught us how to love. He taught us what love looks like. He taught us how love acts. And Lord, in this story, we just see all these people claiming to be loving, but, but, but their love is twisted. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from those kinds of twisted love. Lord, may we realize that love is a, an act of the will. Lord, that's what it was when you loved us uh, by giving yourself for us on the cross. May we love others with an act of the will. And Lord, may we truly have your love so much in us, filling our lives, permeating our lives, Lord, that it flows out and touches others and draws many to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>